We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. If you had no sermon notes on the screen in front of you, if you did not know what series we had been in, if all you had this morning was listening to the music and the worship that we have sung this morning, what would you guess that we're going to talk about in the next few moments? Rapture. Very good. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 13 through 18 this morning as we continue our journey through these wonderful books of 1 and 2 Thessalonians this morning. Uh, we are talking specifically about the rapture as we think about our great and our glorious hope. It is not uncommon these days to hear so many different things about the end times. For 2,000 years, the church has been obviously interested in the end times. And if there was one specific part of the end times that people are the most interested in, it is the rapture. And what you're going to see in just a few moments is that even though there's over 300 verses in the New Testament that deal with end times events, there is not one single scripture or set of scriptures in the New Testament that tells us in more detail about the rapture than 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. So as we walk through this together, we have a real privilege this morning to discover what God has in store for those that love him. Also, you'll note this morning that, that as we read through this, we have to give a spoiler alert. Now, sometimes you see that if, if you're reading a book review and somebody will say spoiler alert, and if you don't want to know how the book ends, you don't read any further. And sometimes when a movie is reviewed, they'll say, now here's a spoiler alert. This is how things are, are going to end. Well, I want you to know that over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about end times because we are walking through this section of Thessalonians and it's where it brings us. So as we walk through it, I want to go ahead and preview the next few weeks and give you a spoiler alert. If I had to have a big idea, not just for this morning, but a big idea over the next several weeks, it would be that God wins in the end. And if you are a believer, you are going to experience that victory with him. So it ought to be that you approach these texts, not with fear and trepidation, but with the same smile on your face that you had just a little while ago as you were singing, because that midnight cry, it's coming. And if you believe that, would you stand with me and we'll worship together by reading the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we find ourselves this morning in verses 13 through 18. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord, Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven and with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Lord God, today we lift our eyes towards heaven as we wait on you to rapture your bride, the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please be seated? 
The Thessalonians had questions. You have questions. And one of the reasons that the Thessalonians had questions is they were, they were scared. They were scared and they had expressed their fear to Timothy when he had gone back. And so Paul is writing to them to help them to understand that even though he's already taught on these end times events, and that's going to be obvious as we walk through it, he's already taught them on what was going to happen while he was there. But there are some specific questions that have arisen inside the congregation, and it has brought about some fears. So Paul writes these words, you will notice, not to stir up dissension, not to bring up problems, not to bring up a debate, but actually these words are supposed to be a comfort to the church. When people talk about end times and believers are scared, then you don't understand the end times. We need to understand that as Paul is writing this, this is writing, written as a comfort, as an encouragement, as a reassurance. You see, the Thessalonians were afraid they had missed the rapture. That's what they were afraid of. Have we missed the rapture? And the reason they were scared is they saw the persecution, they saw all the problems all around them, and they thought, well, we must be in the tribulation. And, and if we're in the tribulation, what did we do to miss the rapture? And so you can imagine the angst that would happen if you thought you had missed the rapture. If the midnight cry had come and you hadn't gone home, wouldn't you be a little nervous? That's what they're dealing with here. And not only to mention that, but they were also concerned because they started to see people die. People in their church were dying. And the reason that that was concerning to them is they were positive. They believed in their heart that Jesus was going to come back and rapture the church before their generation died out. So as people began to die, they began to get worried and think, well, how, if, if we get raptured as believers, is the Lord just going to leave these that, that, that have died before us? Is he just going to leave them here in the ground? What's going to happen? Are they just going to be left? So Paul writes this as a, reins as a reassurance, as a comfort, as an encouragement with this one big idea, and it comes straight from verse 14, and th this is the shortest, simplest, big idea you're going to have all year long, and here it is, the rapture will happen. The rapture will happen. Look at verse 14. Well, he gets to the, his main, the main point of his argument, Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. He's saying just as sure as Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that's how certain you should be that the rapture is going to happen. And you should be sure that this rapture is for believers and it's only for believers. The only people that will be raptured are those people that are redeemed, born again, saved. If you have to repent of your sin, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that he died and rose again on the third day, and you have to submit control of your life to him. If that has not happened, you will not be raptured. And so it is a comfort for believers, but it is, a, it is absolutely scary what we are studying for those that are not saved. And so as we delve into it as the church, the first thing that we see here in verse 13 is that the rapture gives clarity. Look at verse 13. We don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want you to be ignorant. It is amazing how many people think that it is spiritual to be ignorant about the things of God. There is nowhere in Scripture where we are encouraged to be ignorant about the things of God. 
Paul says, I want you to know what's going on. I want you to understand this because you can't live with victory. You can't live with hope. You can't live with joy. Do you remember a few moments ago I asked you all to smile? You can't smile if you are ignorant of the things of God. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, my brothers, about those who have fallen asleep. Now, when he says asleep, what's he talking about? Dead. Dead. Why did he not just say dead? Because he is talking about believers. And the point that he wants to make here is, though they have died physically, he wants them to know that they aren't dead Do you understand me? Their bodies are dead, but they're not dead. I have preached funerals before, and some people will open up their eyes and look wide at you when you announce, if you're preaching the funeral for a believer, that such and such is not dead. And it's because they're not dead if we believe Scripture. In fact, we believe that they're more alive than they have ever been. In fact, because of what God's done for them, we can't be ignorant about what happens when people die. But then, as now, there were people with misunderstandings about what happened to people after they died. And still today, there are people that believe in a doctrine called soul sleep, if you've ever heard of that term. And that is the, the, the message that when you die, your body goes into the ground and that your spirit goes into, for lack of a better way to explain it, that your spirit, your soul, goes into a coma. And that that coma just rests until the rapture, until God brings everyone to heaven. So you're just in a state of non-existence until then. Well, that has plagued the church for a long time. And so Paul is saying this not only as a comfort for the believers that are still living, but if you've ever been close to someone that died, if you've ever had a loved one pass away, if you've lost a spouse, if you've lost a brother or a sister, God forbid if you have lost a child, I don't find comfort in thinking that they're in a perpetual spiritual coma. That's why Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He didn't tell the thief on the cross that in millennia upon millennia you will be with me in paradise. He said today when you breathe your last here you will breathe your first there. Today you will be with me in paradise. Death immediately takes someone to heaven or to hell. Every person that has ever died is in heaven or they're in hell. Do not be ignorant about that fact. Number two, the rapture gives hope and expectancy. The rapture gives hope and expectancy. Look at what it says here. Verse 15, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left to the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, those of us that are still living are going to be caught up with him in the air. The rapture gives hope and expectancy. Notice here that Paul doesn't say anything about fear. He doesn't say anything about being scared. This is an event that he wants the church to look forward to. He wants the church to look and say, I can't wait for this event to come. He wants the church to live like John and with their dying breaths be saying, amen, come Lord Jesus. It is the great hope of the church and it is assured by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, when he says he wants to give them hope, Sometimes when we mentioned funerals before, we need to be very clear. 
There is absolutely nothing wrong with being sad at a funeral. You hear me? Some of you have given some people some very terrible advice at funerals. And I love you, but please quit saying this. You have no reason to cry. You know they're a believer. We don't have anything to be sad about. Quit giving that advice. You say, well, I thought that was good advice. If it was okay for Jesus to weep when he lost a friend, it ought to be okay for us. Shortest verse in Scripture, when Lazarus died, it said, Jesus wept. He didn't weep because he was a sinner. He didn't weep because he didn't know what was going to happen. He weeped because he loved somebody and they were gone, and that is okay. But thank God that when we stand at coffins of those who have died and we stand over the graves of those who have left this earth, we do not grieve as those who have no hope, but we grieve with a hope and an expectancy because we know that as we stand over their grave that their eternal destiny is not six foot in, eight feet in the dirt. It isn't cremation. It isn't inside this box, whether it be metal or it be wood, that their destiny is that they are going to not only rise again, but in that moment, if they are a believer, they are with Jesus. And it says that God is going to bring all believers living and dead to be with Christ. That immediately, and it's going to happen quick, that when the rapture takes place, you are going to look up and believers are going to be shooting out of the ground with bodies. They are going to be resurrected. They're going to be made whole. Now, let me, I don't want to spend a lot of time here because there's so much we have to cover, but sometimes when it comes to the rapture, people get real caught up and I believe some really strange questions. What about people that drowned or someone that burned or, 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 or what about a body that was never found? If he can create the world ex nihilio, that means out of nothing, I think he can put them back together, amen? And what's so incredible about that is because in glorified states, we're gonna know who they are. Even people that you didn't know before, you're gonna know then because you're gonna be perfected in that. And immediately as they rise up, the Bible says if we are still alive, if he comes back before you die, that you are going to meet him in the air as well. And we're told that he is going to come down. And Paul didn't say what he was going to say, but we are told that there is going to be two things that happen, that there's going to be a loud command and that there is going to be a trumpet blast, right? Now let's talk about the loud command. What is Jesus going to say? I don't know. I really don't know. But if it's okay with you, I'd like for us to have a little holy imagination. I know after he got through weeping, he went to the tomb of Lazarus and he said these words, Lazarus, come out. Now, some commentators say that if he hadn't put the name Lazarus in front of it, that everyone would have resurrected in that very same moment. So it may be that Jesus commands believers, come out. One commentator I read, and I really like this, says that he believes that it's going to be one word that he's going to say enough. Enough suffering, 
enough pain, enough sin, enough heartache, enough of all of that. It's over. It's done. And the Bible says that when that happens, then there is going to be a trumpet that is going to blast. Now, here is where I think we need to be careful with end times events because the Bible talks a lot about trumpets. There are trumpets from the Old Testament all the way to the book of Revelation. When it says that a trumpet is going to blast, please don't associate this with the trumpets in Revelation. There is trumpets of judgment in Revelation. There are trumpets that are going to be doled out during the tribulation on people. That is a different trumpet. This trumpet is the same trumpet that believers should be familiar with all the way from the Old Testament. That the trumpets were used always to assemble the people of God and to signal deliverance from God. When they marched around Jericho and the walls fell, we recognize that is the type of trumpet that is going to be blasted because it is going to signal deliverance. It is going to signal victory and it is going to be a signal to the saints of God to assemble. You say, where are we going to assemble? We just answered in the air, in the air. If you're a believer, that's where it says that we're going to assemble. It says that we are going to be caught up together with him. I couldn't get past that word this week, caught up. What does it mean that we're going to be caught up? If you study the word for caught up, that is a violent action, a sudden action. And when I say violent, I don't mean that you will be hurt in that. I mean that it is going to happen so powerfully and instantaneously that immediately the laws of gravity are going to be null and void as saints shoot into heaven. No more of the gravity of the world's hurts. No more of the gravity of the problems. No more of the gravity of sin. No more of the gravity of addiction. No more of the gravity of everything that we feel in this world that it will fall loose and we will in those moments be raptured to be with him. We will be rescued from our own sinful flesh. We'll be rescued from the world system. We will be rescued from Satan, and we certainly will be rescued from God's wrath and hell. We will be rescued, and we will be lifted up. Now, we don't have an incredibly long time to spend on this this morning, but I think it is worth spending some time on when does this rapture happen. There are different schools of thought as to does the rapture happen before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, after the tribulation, first of all, let's talk about what the tribulation is so that we're all on the same page. The Bible tells us that there is going to be seven years of hell on earth. If you read Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 18, it, defy, it gives these seven years. It tells about these seven years. And so there has been a question in the church for years about when will this rapture take place? And I'm going to tell you that I am convinced of what I'm about to, t about to tell you as I walk you through it. But I will say this. There are scholars and gentlemen who disagree with me on this. And I would not break fellowship with anyone over when they believe that the rapture was going to take place. But I do not believe biblically that it makes any sense to believe anything other than that you as a believer will be raptured before the tribulation. And I hope I'm right. But let me give you some biblical reasons why I believe that is the case. Number one, the rapture, we already said that Paul had been teaching these Thessalonians about the end times. 
The rapture must precede the tribulation or the Thessalonians would not have feared they missed it. They wouldn't have feared that they missed something if they thought, if they thought it was at the end. In fact, they would have probably thought, oh, well, it's coming real quickly because we're in the middle of the tribulation now, so he must be coming back quickly. That's not what they thought. They thought they were in the tribulation, so because they thought they were in the tribulation, we must have missed the rapture. So obviously, they were expecting a pre-tribulation rapture. Also, if this persecution that they would are experiencing, that they were so worried about, it would have almost been embraced because if that persecution represented the tribulation, it would have just been one step closer to being raptured. But secondly, their concern that believers who died might miss the rapture implies that they believed in a pre-tribulation rapture. If they believed the rapture was going to be after the tribulation, then everyone would have gotten the body at the same time. So what would it have mattered? Why would they have been expressing this as a concern? Number three, if they had been taught that they would go through the tribulation, then they wouldn't have grieved for people who died, but would have been glad to see them spared. Now think about that with me for just a moment. If I believe that the tribulation has to happen before the rapture can happen, then why in the world would I ever be upset if someone died before the tribulation? Because if I loved them, I'd have to be thankful that they didn't have to go through it. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Fourth, a pre-tribulation rapture is necessary to desire Christ coming back. This is one of the biggest ones to me. We're told that we are supposed to want Jesus to return, right? Want Jesus to rapture the church. How are you literally supposed to desire that if you have to first desire to live through seven years of hell to get to it? There's not a, a way that that is possible. And, and when we think through that, when we really, really think through what that is going to look like, it's necessary for us to desire Christ to come. It is impossible also, an, another reason, to believe in an imminent return of Christ. Now, when I say imminent return, aren't we told that we aren't going to know the day or the hour? No one knows, right? But the Father. That's what we just sang about. The Father's going to give the command and Jesus is going to come and get his church, right? But if the seven-year tribulation has to happen before that, then how can I believe that Jesus could rapture the church at any moment because I'd have to live through seven years of the hell described in Revelation to ever get there? That, to me, is one of the biggest points for us to consider as we think about when the church will actually be raptured. Now... As we walk through this together, I know that some people's objection has been, well, to believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, you have to believe in two second comings of Jesus. Because you have to believe he comes once to rapture the church, then seven years of tribulation, then he comes again to establish the millennial kingdom. But that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, what we see here. There's no reason that you have to believe that during the rapture that Jesus' feet are ever going to touch the ground. We are going to meet him, what does it say, in Jerusalem? No, on the dirt, on the land. We're going to meet him in the air. And so you do not have to believe in two returns of Christ. You believe in a rapture of the, rapture of the church when Jesus comes to take the church, the tribulation, and then the second coming. By the way, also, 
there is not one mention of the church in Revelation 6 through 18. I find that interesting. Because in the first three chapters of Revelation, John used the word church 19 times. So it wasn't that John didn't know the word. If he wanted to talk about the church's presence, it seems as though somewhere in all of those chapters that John would have mentioned the church. Revelation 19, where if you believed in a post-tribulation rapture, that's where the rapture would have to take place. But it is no mention of the rapture in that scripture at all. In fact, if God doesn't rapture till after the tribulation, there would really be no need for a rapture as people would be shooting up in the air to immediately shoot back down to the ground. Because when Jesus comes back, who's coming with him? The saints. He's not going to shoot you up and shoot you back down like bottle rockets. We're going to be brought to heaven and then seven years of hell and then we're coming back to reign with him. When we see Armageddon and we see the millennial reign and the new heavens and the new earth, that's all a part of it. It's nothing you need to be nervous about as a believer. You shouldn't be scared about it. You should be fired up about it. You should be excited about it. We should long for it. The rapture then, and some people have said, well, if there aren't going to be any believers that are going to be left during the rapture, how are people going to get saved? Come in close. Pretend for a moment that the rapture happened today. And you got left. I think you'd want to figure out why. And out of this is going to emerge two witnesses that preach the gospel. 144,000, 12,000 Jews from every tribe are going to be saved and evangelists are going to go out into the world and there's actually going to be a great revival that takes place during the tribulation. And one of the reasons it's going to take place is because the church has been raptured as a sign unto the people. But what's so unbelievable is, is that even after the tribulation, even after the rapture, during the tribulation, there still will be people that refuse Christ. They'll still refuse Christ. So sometimes in our world, we think, how could people be so hard-headed? Friends, even if you flew away in, right in front of them, there would be people who would still reject the God of our salvation. It's heartbreaking. But the rapture will provide proof of God's promise to a lost world and cause many to turn to him. And then finally in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, Jesus tells the church in Philadelphia, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole earth, or I will keep you from the wrath that is to come. No, friends, I do not believe that the same God that I serve, he refers to the church as his bride. I do not believe he would beat his bride before he came to get her. And the wrath of God is going to be poured out. The tribulation is serious. It is something that I pray to God as we understand this rapture, thankful that we do not have to see it or be a part of it. And so verse 18 also tells me why I believe that Jesus is, going, is coming and he is going to come before all of this hell is at least unleashed on earth. Verse 18, therefore, encourage each other with these words. Why do we talk about end times? Most people have a not most. Some people have a, 
a very unhealthy fascination with end times. And it seems that sometimes that the end times are studied to scratch someone's theological itch, to gain some type of knowledge in which it can become pompous or pharisaical over other people. But end time study is not for any of those reasons. The reason that we study the end times, the reason that we think about the midnight cry, that one glad morning when this life is over that we'll fly away. The reason is, is because we should use that information to encourage each other in our daily lives. You say, well, Larry, you, you kind of went through a lot. I mean, that, that was a lot of reasoning. We went through a lot today. But how does that really make a difference in my life in high school or at work? How does it not make a difference? If I truly believe that the bridegroom is coming to rescue and to rapture the church, that ought to change everything about my life. It ought to change everything about the way I consider my family and my school life and my work life, that it is a reality that this world is not going to keep going on forever like it's going on now. The end is coming, people. When do you think that's going to be, Brother Larry? I was hoping you were going to tell us. No, because I don't want to be struck down for being a heretic. And I see people all the time that predict that. And they're liars and fools. And they blaspheme the name of the Most High. You say, well, that's a pretty strong indictment. It's a correct indictment. No one knows the day or hour. Could it be before I get through the end of this sermon? Absolutely. Could God decide to tarry for another thousand years? Absolutely but I'm supposed to live this day with the understanding that it could be the day of the rapture. And if we live that way, it gives us comfort and it gives us encouragement. These new bodies that we're going to receive are going to be sin-free, sick-free, unhindered by the problems of the world, holy, prepared for glory when we see Jesus face to face. The one I've prayed to, <laughs> the one I've read about, the one who rescued me, the one who saved me, the one that I have sung to since I was old enough to sing Jesus Loves Me, that God is coming. And one day I'm going to see him gloriously face to face. And so we yearn for that day. But you know, who's really excited about Jesus' second coming. Can I tell y'all about somebody who's really fired up about it? Listen. The person that I know that's more excited about Jesus coming back than anybody else I've ever met is Jesus. He cannot wait to come get his church. He cannot wait for the clouds to open and to ransom us. I don't know exactly how that goes, but I have to believe that he sits at the right hand of God the Father, that he is constantly looking over and waiting for that permissive grant when the Lord tells him, go get your bride, go get my church, go rescue them, go ransom them. And Jesus in that moment will say, on the way. And we are the beneficiaries of that as we look 
forward to it. Now, I've got to shoot you straight. If you aren't saved and you die, you're going to go to hell. If you aren't saved and the rapture comes, you're going to live through hell on earth. And if you don't give your life to Jesus then, you're going to still go to hell. There is no other hope. I have no other hope. I have nothing else to preach. I have nothing else to long for. It is because of the cross. It is because Christ who is crucified. And some of you might be saying today, I'm hearing you, but this all sounds a little silly. People flying up into the air. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Repent and give your life to Christ. If you do know Jesus today, Long for that rapture. Look for that rapture. Live for that rapture. And for those of you today that know Jesus, and maybe you're a guest with us today, I can't think of a better decision that you would make than to become part of a church that is going to encourage you while we wait. Because while we wait, I need brothers and sisters who are going to worship with me and smile with me and laugh with me and cry with me and encourage me and lift me up. I need that in my life, and I'm not the only one you need it to. Run to Jesus. Run to his church and look to the skies. Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.